0: Welcome, everybody. Merry Christmas. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas on this Christmas Eve special time of year as we gather with family and friends and loved ones and really reflect, hopefully, on the story of Jesus. Such an amazing story. It's one that comes at us in a surprising way. If we we just focus on the hustle and bustle of Christmas and spending money and gifts and all the meals and all that kind of stuff. It's easy to kind of miss the meaning, the heart of the, of the story of Jesus. And it really is about him. It is about gifts. It is about the greatest gift that's ever been given. And this particular year I went through Matthew's gospel over the last few weeks with, with friends and family and, and, uh, we really kind of looked, it's interesting, Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel are the only two Gospels that contain the infancy stories of Jesus, the, the Christmas story, the birth narratives. And Mary's Gospel, or, I mean, Luke's Gospel focuses primarily on Mary, but Matthew's kind of focuses on the bigger picture and the things that are surrounding the birth of Jesus. It certainly does talk specifically about jesus's birth mary finding out that she's pregnant joseph thinking about divorcing her and then an angel appearing to joseph and telling him not to do that that this is of god and so there's this fascinating events that surround the birth of jesus in matthew's gospel and i think as matthew writes this gospel that he's really trying to convey some of the deep meanings of christmas we saw first of all that matthew's gospel opens with a genealogy you know you think about how boring it can be about reading somebody's family tree if you especially if you don't know the family members and the family tree and all that kind of stuff but one of the things that we we learned was that matthew's family tree of jesus comes from joseph it's, it's certainly pointing out that Joseph was from the tribe of Judah, which is the tribe of David, which is the tribe that the Messiah would come from. So that's very, very important to the genealogy of Jesus. But uh, a genealogy in the book of Revelations is always a signal that God's up to something. So when you hear a genealogy in Genesis, it's like, uh-oh, God's up to something. And uh, it's usually something redemptive. It's usually something incredibly broken and then something incredibly redemptive in the midst of the brokenness, okay? So uh, that's kind of what a a a genealogy signals. Well, in Matthew's gospel, it's really the same thing. It's like, uh uh-oh, God's up to something, and in the midst of it, it's gonna be probably incredibly broken, but at the same time, it's gonna be incredibly redemptive. Isn't that fascinating? So if you think about Jesus' genealogy in, in the book of Matthew, there's four women and then Mary. So five altogether that appear in the genealogy of Jesus. This is unusual for Hebrew genealogies. Usually they don't include women like this. So what's interesting is you've got Tamar, you've got Rahab, you've got Ruth, you've got Bathsheba, and you've got Mary. What's interesting is that every one of these women have some kind of suspicion of sexual illegitimacy going on in their story all right so with with tamar and with bathsheba and with rahab it's clear what those situations are but with ruth there's a suspicion of illegitimacy but we're not quite sure that it is and she's primarily Presented as a as a very noble woman, but then Mary has all of the suspicion of illegitimacy—a young teenage girl pregnant—and she's saying that like God did it. You know, it's it's like, huh? Who believes that? Nobody believed that. Joseph didn't believe that, and that's why Joseph was going to divorce her and put her away. And it took an angelic appearance to Joseph to change his mind and to realize that that God was up to something. And I think that's the first big point of the christmas story. In the midst of of all our brokenness, in the midst of all of our moral failures, in the midst of, you know, things that look illegitimate, that's where God shows up. That's the kind of story that God loves to show up in. It can be broken, it can be dark, it can be sinful, it can be all kinds of things, right? But in the midst of that human brokenness god shows up and and it's a beautiful picture of the heart of god for all of us even when we're at our worst right even when we're at our worst god is loving us and the christmas story is selling hey i don't care how far down you feel like you've sunk or what situation you're struggling with god is there for you in the midst of it and he's ready to do something redemptive. I think the second big point is the incarnation itself. We see that you know, like this, this startling thing, like this, this teenage Jewish Palestinian woman comes up pregnant, and uh, she's saying that God uh, somehow miraculously did this, and nobody believes. There's everybody in first century knows how. Babies are born, so they don't believe her. Joseph didn't believe her. He's going to divorce her. But it took an angel to appear to Joseph to convince him to stay married to, to Mary and to walk this out. And, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating thing that, that, that God in human history shows up in the form of a baby. He's born to poor Palestinian parents who had lost their homeland because of debt probably and lived in Nazareth instead of Bethlehem. They had to journey to Bethlehem for a tax evaluation to their homeland that they had lost. And so they journeyed to Bethlehem and, and then they don't even have any room for them in any of the inns. And so they have to stay in a barn in transitional housing And that's where Jesus is born. And one of the things that I I touch on people's lives about is how does God show up, right? How does God show up? And so many times people are looking for, you know, a bolt out of heaven, something incredibly crazy and magical, uh, a burning bush, you know, anything like that. Well, God doesn't always work that way, He sometimes shows up. Not from without, not from the outside with some spectacular moment, but from within. God shows up from within. Maybe the primary where God shows up is from within, in nature, in creation, in circumstances, and in and through people. Even in and through broken people. I think if you think about how people are healed today, usually it's somebody who's gone through brokenness, who has found some redemption, some hope, some healing. And they share their experience and their strength and their hope with those people that are broken as well. I believe that broken people heal broken people. Broken people mend broken people. It's really about the only way it happens. So many times, if people aren't broken, then they tend to be more self-righteous and they tend to give judgment, they tend to posture themselves, they posture their egos. Talk about how great, you know, all that kind of stuff. But what I've seen is that when people get around in a group and get very vulnerable and very honest about their brokenness, then something magical happens. Hearts are bound together. Together in grace based community, we find experience, strength, and hope. And God begins to move in that context. The other thing that we learn from Matthew's Gospel story is the Magi. In Chapter 2, we see the journey of the Magi, and it's this incredible adventure. And I've always loved adventures. I've always loved backpacking adventures and rock climbing adventures and mountain biking adventures and all these kind of things. And I've really loved adventures my whole life, so when I went through all that I went through and started Spirituality Adventures, I thought, what a better name than just to talk about the spiritual journey that we live and that we walk in as a, as a spiritual adventure. And so Spirituality Adventures was born, and the Magi were on a, on a journey. And what's fascinating is the Magi were like sorcerers or magicians in the, in the East. It says they're from the East. So we don't know if they're from Arabia or Persia or the Far East. We know that they weren't Christians. We know that they were magicians, sorcerers. They read the stars. They were like astrologers. They read signs. They were kind of like wise priests from the far east maybe even we don't even know they could have, i guess they could have been as far east as china or india they could have been influenced by hinduism buddhism taoism they could have been they many people think they were zoroastrians all right but they weren't jewish and they were they were never known to become christians but they saw a star And the Magi, who are outsiders, who are not Jewish, set the pattern of true devotion that we can all learn from as they go on a journey and adventure to see the child, Jesus, and then to venture back to their homeland. And the first thing they do is they notice that God's up to something and they see a star over Bethlehem, maybe even a comet, and they venture there to find out what that was all about. because. In their day, like if you had a special occurrence in the sky like that, maybe a meteor shower or maybe a comet, it signaled that there was a special person being born in that time and place that was going to have a significant meaning for all of history, human history. And so the Magi see this, maybe what we call the Christ comet. I, I've, I've loved the work of um, Colin Nickel in his book called The Great Christ Comet. And maybe they saw that, and they ventured from afar. They could have come maybe three weeks' journey all the way up to nine months' journey, depending on how far east they were from. And they follow the star, and they, they do three things that I think are fascinating and become a pattern for all of us. One is they recognize God is up to something special in nature. If you've ever been touched by something transcendent, some sense of divine in nature, they see something in nature and they marvel at it and they, they see the Bethlehem star and they respond with joy. They recognize God's special presence. That's the first thing. We need to have eyes to see and ears to hear God's special presence in nature, in circumstances, in people, in situations, in life. We need to learn to lean into that, not just ignore it. If we ignore it, those things go away. But if we lean into it, we begin to see. God's special presence all around. Then we see that the Magi finally come to Jesus and they bow and they worship. They pay homage to him like a king. And they bow and worship. It's so fascinating that that these these people who aren't Jewish, who maybe didn't know anything about the prophecies, but simply follow a special star and it takes them to the special baby And they bow and they worship. And I think there's a mystery to how God shows up in this world. God shows up in the incarnation. I mean, he takes on flesh and blood. He shows up in nature, in creation, in circumstances, in people. And when we see God show up in these special ways, when these magi see God showing up in the baby Jesus, they they bow before the mystery in humility. They bow, and they surrender, and they worship. It's a beautiful scene there. I think all true recovery comes through surrender, through recognizing a higher power, and through really recognizing that our lives are really unmanageable. We're out of control, and we need that special presence of God to come and change us. I think the final thing they do is they bring gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And these were gifts that were due for a king. And we see this beautiful giving of gifts. And and when we see God's special presence, one of the things we are to do is to respond with generosity. We all have gifts of time. We all have gifts of talent. We all have gifts of money and treasure. And we need to sow that into God's work, into God's people, into the, the things that are touching and bringing life to people. And so generosity is a response to God's special presence. So we see this in the Magi, who are non-Christian followers of Jesus, who show us the pattern of true devotion, recognizing God's special presence, bowing before the mystery of God's special presence, and then responding with generosity, leaning into God's special presence. And then the final scene in Matthew's gospel is one, you know, the the Magi scene is not in any other place. And then the story of Jesus and his family fleeing to Egypt is not in any any other story. This is where we see Jesus uh, as a person who is very similar to Moses. He's the new Moses, if you will. You know, if you think about Moses traveling, uh from from uh egypt and out of egypt and into the promised land you think about moses being the deliverer of people well we see that there's a parallel here with jesus so herod is so threatened by jesus presence that he tries to figure out when jesus might have been born and through the magi and through the scribes and and the other teachers of the law he ascertains that it's been maybe a year or so since Jesus' birth, he's not quite sure, right? And so he decides to put out a decree to kill all the firstborn children in and around Bethlehem. And we're not sure how many people, Bethlehem wasn't a big town. How many babies were born in Bethlehem over a two-year period, we're not sure. It could have been 20 or more. But nonetheless, he put out a hit on all these little infant babies. And this was similar to like, you know, when Pharaoh put out a hit on all the Hebrew babies being born right when Moses was being born. So there's a parallel there to Moses. And then we see that the family fled to Egypt to take safety from Herod and they spent time there until an angel showed up again. And then they traveled back to Bethlehem and then they realized that Herod had died and one of his sons was in charge. and So then they ultimately traveled back to their original hometown where they left from is Nazareth. But think about it. What we're seeing here in this story is um, oppression. We're seeing the imagery of slavery tied to Egypt. We're seeing the imagery of exile uh, because they were fleeing persecution. And so we see that there's a note here about oppression. Think about all the ways that we can experience oppression. We can experience oppression from the outside, from systems, from racism, from unjust treatment by others. We can be we can experience abuse, we can experience trauma from the outside in. But then we have our own situations, like we can make our own bad choices and we can, have, we can have our own struggles with mental health and those kind of things. And sometimes our own anxiety and our own depression and our own issues can, can, can feel oppressive in nature. Sometimes broken relationships can feel oppressive in nature. And sometimes injustice around us can feel oppressive in nature. And, and it's in this context that Jesus comes And when we see jesus grow we see that he's going to have a radical love acceptance and forgiveness toward those who are outsiders toward those who are marginalized toward those who are oppressed toward those who are sick toward those who are infirmed we see that jesus modeled this through his teaching through his healing through his radical inclusions and then we see that jesus starts these grace-based communities with broken people And one of the most powerful ways that Jesus continues to incarnate his presence today is through grace-based communities of broken people. When we gather together and when we are vulnerable and when we love and forgive and accept, and when we walk through life together with grace-filled people, people who have experienced the love and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus, then those communities sustain us through all kinds of issues through all kinds of oppression through all kinds of heartache through all kinds of darkness and through all kinds of struggle i know my own story i've seen that over the last three years i've gone through the darkest times in my life but it's been grace-filled people who are in grace-filled communities that have surrounded me loved me families and friends and people i'm in community with that have sustained me that have helped heal me, that have helped grow me. And so this is, I think, one of the beautiful things about Jesus as we think about this season, this Christmas season, that Jesus comes in the midst of our brokenness to bring radical grace through grace-filled people, through grace-filled community. And this is one of the ways that we experience the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love of Jesus. And so we come this Christmas Eve to light the Christ candle. Over the last four weeks, we've lit the candle of hope, the candle of peace, the candle of joy, and the candle of love. Today, this Christmas Eve, we come to light the Christ candle. Now we approach the holy moment when the coming of Jesus as a man, is renewed in our hearts. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible says, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem the city of David. Today we thank God for his gift of Jesus. We thank him that through Christ his light has come into the world and made it possible for us to see and in seeing to rejoice. His truth, his love, his very self transforms all who receive him. So I come tonight, this Christmas Eve, to write to light the Christ candle. And as we light the Christ candle, we want to be reminded that this is a moment where we not only reflect on Jesus' birth, but we wanna receive his life, his love, his hope, his peace, his joy. And we actually want to ask that God would incarnate that life in us, that we might live the love of Jesus and the life of God and pass that light on to everybody. It's a light of love. It's a light of forgiveness. It's a light of hope. It's a light that shines in the darkness. It's a light that joins our hearts with other people's hearts when they're in their darkest moments. It's a light that heals. It's a light that brings hope. It's a light that ignites transformation it's a light that ignites spiritual growth it's a light that heals us from the inside out and then we pass that light on to others and so let's 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 this this holy night go before god in prayer and just give thanks for jesus god we thank you for this christmas eve as we prepare our hearts for the birth of Christ, for the coming of Jesus. We're thankful for your life, your death, and your resurrection, Lord Jesus. We thank that you were born in the midst of poverty, in the midst of illegitimacy, because it speaks to us about how you come to us in our darkest moments, in broken places, and you bring your hope, your love, your joy, and your peace. We want to come to you with humility. We want to bow before the mystery. We want to receive your mighty love and grace. And we we pray all of this, this Christmas Eve, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a great New Year. The Lord bless you this Christmas season. God bless.
1: Sleep in hell is the savior is Ich nabe mit lockigem schlaf in himmlischen Ruhe,